0: It's very non threatening to do a dyad. Um, but as we progress through the morning, we'll extend the time of the dyad a little bit so that there's a little bit more time to have that experience of deeper listening. Please, I think you had your hand up. Yeah. yeah um, when you gave us permission to kind of observe our anxiety, that sort of helped me to, to not be so anxious. And then I tested out the idea that it was okay not to question and just be quiet and that was challenging for me but um, mm-hmm. I think that because you set it up it helped me with that to experiment about that but I do feel some responsibility to respond to other people even mm-hmm. you know just out of wanting them to be comfortable or whatever yeah sure of course please uh, I found that um, when I was a speaker and the other person was asking the question was inquiring I lost my train of thought. And mm. I thought about that in terms of what impact I have when I ask when <coughs> I interrupt someone else or you know, gain entry to someone else's uh, talking, is that maybe they, I, I put them in a situation where they lose their thought, they lose mm-hmm. what they wanted to communicate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that was revealing to me about the impact I might have on other people's talking. Mm, thank you. Mm. Well, I mean, one thing that you could um, explore really deeply about what you just raised is <coughs> the rhythm of listening. That there, there's, a, there's really a, um, a subtlety. There, there, there's so much nuance in knowing when to ask a question and when to be silent. I mean, you could just, you were talking about a six-month course that led to a 25-year study. I mean, one of the reasons why it becomes 25 years is because as you begin to see what the possibilities are with regard to really deeper listening, one of the things that you see is that every aspect of listening could be something that unpacks and unpacks and unpacks, and, and you can go deeper and deeper. So I'm a psychotherapist. And um, in the early days of being a psychotherapist, I wanted to be helpful. And so I figured that being helpful was asking lots of questions. And at some point, I had an, um, a, an older, more mature client than I was. I was in my like, mid-20s, uh, who just stopped me. She put her, <clears throat> put her hand in front of my face, and she said, Stop! If I need you to ask a question, I'll ask you. <laughs> but it really made me Aware of how my anxiety about being helpful was really keeping, was really destroying her rhythm. She was, she, was, she was on her own steam. She was moving. I didn't need to ask her a question. Now, it's true that sometimes people can get into an obsessive compulsive streak with talking and asking a question is a good thing to derail them. You know, kind of stop their mind. But again, that's very subtle. That's a very nuanced interaction. You, had Adriana. It's just in the, comparing I observed from the first exercise to the second exercise. It changed for me as the, the listener role, in that the first exercise, I put all of my focus on, on the other, and I found like, love. I found beauty and love naturally rose, because I wasn't noticing beauty and love in the other, because I was fully focused on the other. But in the second exercise, I was trying to also be there are mindful advice i was i started to get yeah. some of the meta got lost because i started to self focus again if that if you have any yeah sort of yeah so so that's another that's another great example of the subtlety and nuance of listening that one of the um one of the practices in mindfulness is um called binocular attention like having your attention fifty percent on your inner and fifty percent on the external world. Now, when you sit a, a retreat and you've built up you know three, four or five days of internal um, awareness, then it's so much easier to take the awareness and start shifting it from hundred percent here to on the external. Much more difficult to do that kind of in daily life because we tend to kind of do one or the other. We tend to have much more here or we have much more there. But the rule of thumb is that you always want to have enough attention inside your own body that you don't lose track of yourself. Because every time that you lose track of yourself, you put the listening in danger. Because now... Your unconscious is motivating what you do and say and how you act and how you respond, and that's not good. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Question. Yes, please. Uh, then you're saying you're taking your attention off of the person you're listening to and putting it on yourself, and you're drawing your attention away. So I'm, I'm not understanding if you're drawing your attention away from, from the other person, then you're dividing your attention and not really totally 100% present with it. That's exactly accurate. So um, so the there are three specific skills. You know, the, the point that Juliet made about twenty-five years of study, I, I I can't emphasize that enough. Listening is really, really difficult. To be a really good listener takes An extraordinary amount of practice, intention, motivation. So within listening, there are at least 50 different sub-skills. Like a sub-skill is asking a good question. A sub-skill is knowing when to ask a question. See what I'm saying? So within this exercise that we just did, there were three skills. The first one was paying attention to your own internal process and being mindful so that when you're listening, you're listening from mindfulness compared to mindlessness. The second skill is giving your full undivided attention to the other person. The third skill, which we haven't practiced at all yet, is splitting your attention between being mindful here and being mindful there. All of them are equally as important. It seems like opposition to me. You know, am I paying attention to what's going on inside of me? Or am I paying attention to the person that I'm listening to? Yes. So in the early stages of trying to develop competence in these three areas, it's oppositional. You're absolutely right. It takes you away from doing what it was that you were doing during that exercise, which was giving your full undivided attention, right? So I acknowledge that. What I'm saying is, <laughs> here's a preview of coming attractions. <laughs> that at some point, you're, you're going to want to be really good at having your attention here, while at the same time being able to put your attention there. I would love to be able to develop that yeah, well, you can. You can. It just, it takes a lot of practice. Yes? It just came up for me. If you're not at home, you cannot receive someone. Yes. Yes, thank you. Lovely, lovely metaphor. So we're going to take a break in a moment. I just want to tell you a story. So um, two incidents that were um, extraordinarily um, impactful to me in becoming a good listener. One of them was that I was 21 and um, I was first beginning to become interested in meditation. And um, a friend of mine um, introduced me to a three-day meditation uh, workshop that was called an Enlightenment Intensive. And during the Enlightenment Intensive, the um, process was that you split your attention from sitting with the question, who am I, for extended periods of time. So it was like a Zen um, Zashin. And that as you were holding that question, who am I, that you were in dyads for 45 minutes, um, and that as something would arise about the question, who am I, that you were instructed to communicate without censoring exactly what came up for you and then you'd go right back to the question. So it was this interesting kind of dance of meditate on the question, who am I, something arises, communicate about that, come right back to the question. The listener was instructed to give no feedback at all. And the people who were training us went around the room and if we were lapsing into the um, the tendency to go, You know the bobblehead doll um, they would just remind us very gently you're giving them feedback you're telling them by your nodding head this is good say more about that I like this I agree with you and so after 72 hours of doing this process one of the things that changed in my life was that I got really comfortable with just paying attention and not having to give a lot of nonverbal response, so I began to ask clients um, about what their experience was being on the other side. And one of the things that clients began to tell me was that they appreciate because the, I had several, about twenty or thirty people that I was seeing as a therapist, and you know before the retreat and then after the retreat, and I asked them, "What did you notice?" And they said, well, one thing is that I always felt like I had to please you. (laughs) That when you were nodding your head, I felt like, okay, I'm doing good work in therapy. And that when you came back and you stopped doing that, I felt a lot more freedom to just explore what I felt like exploring. Now, I don't know that that would be true for everybody, but it encouraged me to keep on doing that. So that was um, one kind of breakthrough for me. And I just, you know, I think that one of the things I try to do um, when I'm a listener is to minimize the amount of response that I have unless I'm with somebody who really is having a hard time articulating. And then sometimes, again, this is the nuances, sometimes it's better to give some kind of social cue when somebody really needs to be drawn out but when somebody doesn't need to be drawn out and they're you know they got full steam ahead leave them alone you don't need to shape their behavior they're they're exploring what they're exploring so that was one the second one was that um, in the early days of being a therapist um, I would like three or four years into it I started feeling like I'm burning out. I, I noticed that I hated going into the room with a person. Like I just felt so much aversion. Um, and I couldn't figure out why because it seemed like the right profession <laughs> for me. Um, and I, I reached a point where I decided that I would stop being a therapist and um, just, you know, just kind of explore other things. And when I came back to it, I had begun to practice mindfulness. And one of the things that occurred very early on was I became mindful of how responsible I felt for their pain. That that I couldn't listen in the pre, like pre-taking the break. I couldn't listen without somehow taking on some desire to solve their problem and that was a huge burden. And in in the kind of post period what i noticed was that i felt that actually they had the wherewithal to figure out their own life. And that my job was just was to facilitate. Maybe ask a, a good question, maybe only listen. Maybe explore problem solving if that really was something that they were interested in, but only with their permission. And I noticed that I didn't feel the burden at all, that I really felt like people come into the room with a tremendous amount of wisdom that they just need a support to uncover. And I think that's true in everyday life, that people walk around with an enormous amount of wisdom that they don't even know they have about their own life. And that sometimes the best thing you can do as a listener is to just acknowledge by your confidence in them, by listening really carefully, and that's about it. So we're going to take a break. It is uh, 1040, and we'll take a break until uh, 1050. So you got 10 minutes to get up and stretch, use the meadow, walk around, get some fresh air, but be back in the room at 1050.